1: It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome
0: in to Take Command. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. He played 10 years in the NFL, 6 for the Washington franchise. I covered the team for 5 years on The Beat and am now the host of The Hoffman Show daily, 3 to 6 p.m. on the team, 980. We stream as well. On the Odyssey app, which you can get free anywhere you get your mobile applications, Logan Paulson. And we, uh, on that show yesterday, uh, heard Ron Rivera give us the news live. Uh, kind of a weird day, by the way. They they walk through Monday Night Football trying to give the guys extra rest. They just do a walkthrough on a Wednesday. Uh, And then ultimately, uh, Ron announces that Carson Wentz is not quite ready yet. Uh, They're going to start Taylor. They they did clear Carson to throw, but they're not actually clearing him for practice as of yet. We are recording this on Thursday morning. There's a chance that changes by the end of the week uh, that Carson does get some practice reps. But it certainly sounds like they're not even going to bother activating him until next week. Which, by the way, makes sense. Like Get get Sam Howell those extra reps right now unless Carson's going to have the potential to play this weekend. Um, but I, I, to me, this was kind of a no brainer. Um, and this was the right way to play it until Carson's ready. You, you, there's no reason for Ron Rivera to commit moving forward. Um, and so while we will preview Houston and the game this weekend, as we always do on our Friday pod in a moment, I think it's worth spending a few minutes here on this quarterback situation. What'd you make of, of their decisions?
1: Well, I think it's exactly what you thought was going to happen, Craig. I think they were going to kind of try and kick the can down the road a little bit. And I think that ultimately is probably smart because you prevent kind of this drama when the team is getting hot. And, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on whether or not I think this is a result of Heineke or a result of a change in game plan, change of philosophy. Like, I mean, they've really taken a lot off the quarterback in terms of responsibility. And I think, you know, that's something that I know Ron's been pushing for for a long time. And I think when you have a switch to a guy who's less talented, much like Dallas with Cooper Rush, you kind of simplify your game plan, simplify your approach and kind of take some of that responsibility off of them. And I think that's what you've seen. And it'd be interesting to see how Wentz would fit in this version of the offense which i think is slightly different right a little bit more conservative a little bit more play action focused a little bit less high leverage kind of demand in terms of down and distance and obvious pass rushing situations not obvious throwing situations so that is a curious thought experiment but i do think if you're ron uh kind of the bead that you get from being in the building is that guys are very supportive of taylor and i I don't think i'm saying anything that's surprising anybody when i say that and I do think you have to kind of navigate the human element here a little bit if you are Ron. And so if you can kick it down a week, kick it down a week, get another win. You're in the playoff contention. You seem to be in a good spot. Like why disrupt that? And I think you, you mentioned that when we did our show on Tuesday and I think that's, you hit it right on the head. Like, I think this feels like if they had to Carson could be back, but why does he have to come back? Even if it's for his own personal well being and health, like let's right. not rush it back. Let's make sure he's good. So that's kind of my thought on it, and I don't think I don't. I really don't think there's that much like nuance here, other than that. Like, no. the only The only nuance to me is is what does Carson look like in this version of the offense, and I don't know if we'll find that out this year or not.
0: Yeah, and I, I do want to get into that. I had a great caller on my show yesterday who was kind of putting that point out there, and I'd love to dive into that. Um, a little bit more. The other thing I'll just say real quick before we do, though, is another game of Taylor, and I doubt that they're they're heavily factoring this in, and I think you can make an argument that they should. It, it's really more of icing on the cake, I think, more than anything else. Another game of Taylor running an efficient offense with 75-ish snaps probably kicks, not super safely, but probably safely kicks that 70% snap threshold for yeah. um, once out of, out of contention. I mean... Right now it's about 60-40 mm-hmm. um, because I, I think we forget I, – I will admit I forgot this yesterday. I actually tweeted something and deleted it, deleted it after doing a little bit more math um, and, and looking at it. Because there were so many of those games where Carson ran like 40 plays – and then had two drives that were 15-play drives at the end, you forget that he actually did have some high-snap games. It felt like everything was super condensed and he's running 50 plays a game, but it actually wound up being 70, 75 in most Mm -hmm. of those games because of some late drives. And because of that, it actually is a little harder than I thought for Taylor to accumulate – it's not really about Taylor – for anyone else to accumulate the snaps that you would need to – avoid giving a second-round pick to Indianapolis where currently it sits at a third. 70% of the snaps played by Wentz triggers it up to a second, that conditional draft pick. So I, I think that is something to consider here as well. That's Again, more icing on the cake uh, than anything else, but if you can get another high-snap game uh, where they run the ball a ton and, and run 80 snaps out of Taylor, that takes that out of the equation in a way that feels somewhat meaningful um, and, and hopefully can secure, not giving a second round pick for a guy who more than likely is not even going to be your quarterback for more than a year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think obviously that's, that's of the trade variables. Like obviously the money was a big variable, but the draft capital you gave up for a team that I think is closer than people want to say, but you know, like a second round pick is probably a starter for your team. And if you look at this last year's draft, like Seattle, for example, they draft cross in the first round, the tackle out of um, Mississippi state. And then they draft uh, Lucas, who is the the tackle out of Washington State, and they get two starting offensive linemen and, and Lucas comes in the second round. And so I look at this team and like when you look at the composition of the offensive line, when you look at the composition of the secondary, maybe linebackers, like that's a valuable piece that you're going to be giving up potentially. So uh, that is a big frustration. And, you know, it is icing on the cake, but like in a in a league like where you look at Philadelphia, and they're basically able to flip their roster in a year, just managing the draft effectively. Now, they did a whole bunch of like long-term stuff that put them in a really good spot in terms of accruing first round picks, being able to trade for um, AJ Brown, all those things are huge factors, right? But to me, draft capital is very, very important unless you're trading for someone who's going to be a part of your franchise for a long time. You know, I think the Matt Stafford trade, the Jalen Ramsey trade, that kind of LA's model of trading for players is very unique because they right. do a good job of their pro evaluation. Here, obviously, it's kind of the other way, right? They kind of miss. I don't want to say miss because I think that's TBD in terms of Carson. But if you can reserve some of that second round capital, because then it allows you to trade up if you need to, trade back, It's a big piece, so it it is icing, but it is a significant variable for sure to consider.
0: Yeah, I I just mean it's icing in that it helps confirm the decision. Like, I don't think that they're going to start Taylor an extra game to kick that out. I think, unless you think you're a championship team, that that's actually probably a smart thing to do. Um, It's pretty cold and it's pretty calculated, but it's also not dumb. Um, And that's you know a lot of times in the NFL, kind of how that works is that teams don't do that kind of stuff because you feel a responsibility to the locker room. Like, I, I mean, I'll just straight up ask you, like if you were a player and you felt like they were playing a, a, a backup quarterback to not have to give up draft capital and you were in a locker room fighting for your, your livelihood, like I'd imagine you'd be pretty pissed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've been in situations where something like that. I'm trying to remember an exact situation, but I feel like I've been in a, on a, in a ro- on a roster where that's happened. Something like that has happened. They're trying to keep someone from a snap total. They're trying to do something, and it does, I think, instantly send a message to the team that like, hey, you know, we're not thinking about you this year. We're thinking about you know the following season, and that is um, very very frustrating. But it's also uh part of the business you know and I think yeah. there's a lot of guys that um understand that like at that point in my career when that happened where was that it doesn't matter you know like yeah. it, so like when that happened I was at a point in my career where I was like this is just I was so jaded already I was like yeah that's fine I just got to worry about <laughs> right. me and, what, and worry about me and what I'm doing um right. but um you know I, I think that that's uh that 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 is an easy way to, to disenfranchise young guys, a young roster and this roster for Washington is a very young, young group. So I do think that would be a big deal. And you know um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it's definitely a tough sell. Um, but then again, if the backup quarterback's the guy that everyone wants to start anyway, it maybe it gets a little bit easier, which brings us back to, the Carson versus Taylor, you know, let's let's pretend for a second Carson gets healthy. It's, it's obviously not going to be this weekend, but, you know, all of a sudden we come into next week. Taylor plays another game similar that he's been playing. It's like not super spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, perhaps it's, it's even poor, but they win. Um, I thought Robert had a Robert Griffin had a great quote on the junkies this week. He's like, I've never seen a quarterback who elevates everyone around him while playing so poorly himself, like the defense plays better. The receivers play better the The line, the backs, everyone seems to play better, except for you look up and he's got like a 60 quarterback rating. Um, And it's it's true. Let's say, say, yeah, yeah, let's just say that happens and there's a thought in the offensive meeting room and and in Ron Rivera's head slash office to say, if we can run this game plan with Carson, it's going to be a better version of this game plan. We're not going to have him throw it 45 times like he was early in the season. We're not going to have a guy that's, you know, when he was went out, he was like seventh in the NFL in passing. We're going to run this game plan. We're just going to do it with Carson Wentz. How would that look? And, you know, is that, is that a possibility? Is the stuff that Taylor does well? Uh, why this game plan is actually about to, or why this game plan actually works to win football games, even if it hasn't led to very good or, and for the less spectacular production in the passing game.
1: Well, so I think I, I do think that the the play calling has shifted. I think they understand kind of what the team, what the what the composition of the team looks like. I think if you think back to the off season and and you remember the the dialogue, it was like, what is the defense going to be? and we expect the offense to be very dynamic and kind of high powered. And so the offense would kind of carry the defense and through the first two games, it kind of looked like that was going to be the case. And then obviously the, um, the defense kind of finds its feet, finds its legs and they start playing at a really high level. And and the the paradigm kind of shifts. You kind of say, if the defense is going to play this good, well maybe the offense doesn't need to be this kind of, you know, Kansas city chief, uh, you know, analog, it can be, a version of like the New York Giants, for example. And I think if you look around the league, like that's been kind of a quiet trend of teams that are understaffed on the offensive line at the quarterback position. And, you know, with skill talent, like the New York Giants, the Tennessee Titans, Cleveland Browns, to a certain extent, um, where they say, basically, we are going to shorten games. It's kind of, it's weird. It's kind of, I feel like the pendulum is swinging, right? It was like kind of this high, and high, you know, high, uh, very, very potent passing attacks. And now it's kind of slowly swinging back to that more run-heavy approach throughout the league, right? And so that's been kind of cool to see this adaptation to kind of counter what defenses are doing, put your rosters in better spots. But but basically, Washington's done that same thing as well, right? They've kind of identified that, hey – you know, because of the offensive line issues, because of our quarterback issues, we can't be this team. Let's lean into the defense. Let's lean into the special teams, have them insulate this team. And then the aggregate, by being more conservative offensively, puts our defense in a better spot, puts our special teams in a better spot. And as a result, because of kind of variables that are less sexy, like field position, time of possession, um, you know, low turnover variance, I guess, is another one to kind of think about. Our team is better. So I do think if you insert Carson into this offense, I think you look at what Indy did with him, for example, where he right. throws 27 and won, touchdowns yeah. and, and seven one nine straight games in the middle of the season. And I think they were running an iteration of this. I think they were is a little bit more uh he was a little bit more exposed in that offense, right? They they pushed a little bit more. But I think essentially that's what they're doing with Taylor right now. And I think when you look at the weapons that they have on the outside, it's very tempting to say, oh, let's go, let's you know, make these big chunk plays, but also like, look at what, look at what um, Kyle does with Jimmy. Look at what uh, McDaniel does with Tua. Like, there's a heavy play-action element. They infl- infl- insulate the offensive line. I mean, look at Minnesota. That's a great example with Kirk, right? They take away some of the protection issues for the offensive line, make the reads, make the throws easier. I think you'd get an elevated Carson, right, if he feels comfortable with that stuff. I do right. think it's important to note, though, that Taylor Heineke seems, when he's kind of at peak Taylor Heineke powers, seems to elevate this group even on third down by avoiding pressure and throwing with anticipation versus pressure and i think that's a huge deal that i'm not sure carson even with the even with the change in game plan i'm not sure carson adds that and that's not because carson can't do that it's more because carson is not as familiar with the offense as taylor is to to throw with that level of anticipation
0: yeah i mean i think that is being a bit no, I'm not saying like we should be mean to people because that's, that's mean, being mean is bad, but we should be honest. I just, I don't think that is, it's, I do think it's because Carson is not as good at that. Like he just is not a guy who throws with a ton of anticipation. Um, and in part, cause he never had to until he got to the NFL, right. like when you have an arm that's that strong. And especially when you're playing at the level that he played in college, uh, and the, you know, where he grew up, wasn't the world's greatest high school football, um, you can wait till guys are open. There's going to be a ton of space and then fire lasers. Um, You get to the NFL. It doesn't matter how strong your arm is. You can't do that, uh, at least not consistently. And so I do think that there is an element of this that would be like, would you get a better version of Carson? Yes. Would you get a better version of the offense? I don't know because the movement that Taylor has and the anticipation that he throws with are the things that make this line better. And You know the specific throws that he makes as well. Like, how often do we talk about earlier in the year? Kind of the spray chart of where Taylor throws versus where Carson throws. Like, hey, yeah, on the slant flat concept, Taylor's going to throw the slant, Carson's going to throw the flat, Uh, and this offense, you know, calls for and the way defenses play now call for the slant to be thrown more often. And Carson just doesn't make that throw very often. He he doesn't read it particularly well. And so, could you take a lot off his plate? Yes. But what's left on his plate, I think, is the stuff that Taylor executes better. Um, I made kind of a funny comparison on the show yesterday, Logan. To like, you're trying to you're trying to run like a CrossFit event, and you got one dude who's like a power lifter and yeah. one dude who's a track star, and you're like, we need someone who can lift and run, and you got <laughs> you got one dude who can lift and one dude who can run, and you got to kind of figure out which which one is is going to be the more effective person to win the this this event where you have to do both yeah and uh at, at this rate it seems like the runner uh Taylor is is the better quarterback for that or is the better participant for that um but it would be interesting if you gave the lifter here the power guy Carson uh with that big arm of his a better a better strategy and so I yeah. almost wish you could run it on dual tracks and play one game on Sunday yeah. and one game on Wednesday and figure out who it was to see that's just that's not how the NFL works
1: Yeah, it is. It's It's tough, man. It's a tough thought experiment. But I just think back to the Green Bay game. You know, he saved that offensive line from probably five or six sacks, right, against Indianapolis in the two-minute situation. Same thing. I'm talking about Taylor now. And obviously in this last game, like, one of the biggest plays in the game, to my eye, is that third down conversion occurred to Samuel on third and six where uh, Larson gets beat clean off the rush. So, again, those plays are significant, and he's that – you know, I, I think you lo- You do lose stuff, but right now with the game plan it, being what it is, those plays are so huge. They're so huge because like we talked about on Tuesday's show or whatever show that was, like the, the, the reason you can stick with the run game so long is if you're efficient on third down. And mm-hmm. if you're not efficient on third down, because we talked about Carson versus Dallas, for example, missing, you know, slant throws, missing kind of easy in cuts, missing check downs, like, that stuff adds up in with this type of offensive philosophy, and if he and right. so again, you know, you, you mentioned he doesn't throw with a lot of anticipation. I don't disagree with that, but I also think knowing where to go with the football and knowing how to read stuff, and this is this is not an indictment of him. This is the first time he's been in a new offense, pretty much for his whole career. Um, and everyone says, "Oh, what about the Colts? It's the same offensive coordinators it was in Philly, so he can speak Carson's language." This is a totally new thing for him. So I think understanding uh that stuff and like how he's still growing there is also something that's very significant in terms of getting like where to get the football to even if you're not throwing with great anticipation so I do think that um you know it would be cool to see Carson in this offense but I do think some of the stuff that Taylor brings that doesn't necessarily show up on a stat sheet um is super significant so like when you know Robert says oh he's elevating everybody around him but playing badly like, I, you miss the, oh, he escaped this pressure. Oh, you miss the check down. You missed right. the scramble for six yards. Like, those things don't necessarily show up, but they are extremely significant, especially with this conservative game plan.
0: 100%. And, you know, it's just, it was Robert's full quote was something like, you know, you'd think by the way people are treating him and the way people are talking about him, he threw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. And right. he just isn't. You know, you yeah. look up, he's got a 60 quarterback rating. um But those key plays at key times. The other thing that I'll add, too, is it's not everyone, like, that I guess would be in Camp Carson, if you will, is like, well, the big plays. And it's like, how many was he really getting per game? Slash how many do you get in general per game? It's yeah. like, yeah, there are some throws that he's made this year that you're, that just blow your mind. You're like, wow, Taylor can't make that one. Um, and we said so at the time. And, and if he were to come back, we would continue to point those out. But that's, you know, two, three plays a game. And, and Taylor still hits some shots down the field because he throws with the anticipation. So for Carson, it's a 45-yard ball in the air. He throws it, you know, two steps later. Taylor, it's a 30-yard ball in the air because he gets it out sooner. Um, yeah. And, and those, those it doesn't matter how far the <clears throat> ball goes in the air um larger though real quick to
1: to your big play point there i think it's it's also like even in this philly game right like he gets a big play to terry on the play action pass obviously but he also gets a big play to terry on the first third and two it's a 18 yard completion right Gets a big play to curtis on a dig route you know on third and six i know it doesn't feel like it right it doesn't they don't feel like these crazy explosive plays but those are technically explosive plays you know they're a play over 15 yards right right and so even though they're not like a 75-yard bomb to Diami like everyone's remembering versus Tennessee. Right, There are these plays that are kind of sprinkled in that are quietly very, very supportive of this offense that, again, are, to your point, it's like it fits his skill set. They're a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker developing, and he's throwing with great anticipation and letting the playmakers kind of make those plays. So I do think that that's also something for fans to kind of be aware of.
0: No doubt. Uh, as to your point on the larger trends, there was a great piece in the New York Times yesterday by Mike Tanier. Um, it talks about some of the the data around how teams are reverting back to running the football. Through ten weeks, the NFL teams are averaging 121 rush yards per game, the highest figure since 1987. Crazy. Teams also averaging four and a half yards per rush, the highest rate. In history, teams rushing at 26.8 times per game, a rate that has been relatively steady for many years, but pass attempts have declined to 33.7 per game, the lowest figure since 2010, meaning the league's run-to-pass ratios increased slightly over the last two years from 41.9% in 2020 to 42% in 2021, and then 42.7% this year. So basically what we're seeing in Washington is, Of shorter games, less plays being run overall, and more a higher percentage of them being runs uh, is a trend league-wide. And and it's funny how the you know how the league just is cyclical. Yeah. Um. You know, teams have adapted defensively to this pass-happy league and put smaller guys on the field uh, defensively and and played more nickel, played more dime, more Buffalo nickel, and so offenses are like, well, if you're gonna play small dudes, like let's get some big dudes and start running it again.
1: It's also even like I think more like maybe more impactfully than the personnel. Because I think, you know, this team, uh, the commanders are very good at stopping the run with nickel personnel, like like Green Bay back in the day when I was playing. They Mm -hmm. played a lot of nickel and diamond were excellent at stopping the run. Like, but what they did do and what this team does is they allocate resources to coverage as opposed to allocating resources to stopping the run. And I think when you see teams that have adopted this Vic Fangio approach of saying, we will be plus one in coverage and down one in the run game, like like minnesota is a great example they have basically gone out and found guys across the defensive front that are absolute dogs versus the run and not all teams have that kind of personnel where they can adapt to that right so teams that are playing down in the run game like you're gonna have a tough go if you don't have personnel i think even philadelphia i know like the effect of this player of, of jordan davis's absence is probably debatable statistically but having someone who's there to stop the run, having a John Ridgeway who's there to stop the right. run on our team is a significant element, right? And so, I do think you'll, if you're trying to play down in cover, if you're trying to play down in the run, you need to make sure your personnel matches that. And I think to your point, a lot of teams don't have the, the they have like quick, athletic, gap shooting defensive linemen, but sometimes right. you need dudes who are just like big MFers in there that are going <laughs> to make it tough, you know what I'm saying? And I think that that's again, it's that's a little bit of a paradigm shift and understanding how to best execute that heavy coverage structure. So
0: Yeah. Uh, Orlovsky did a breakdown on that yesterday, too, about how everyone went to the Aaron Donald mold of defensive linemen. It's like, oh, you yeah. can't interior pass rush. Well, now power runs are coming back. You know, yeah. where everyone was doing a lot of outside zone, inside zone, and you needed super mobile linemen. Uh, and also those guys were good at interior pass rush. Well, now you're just running power stuff straight at them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's part of the reason, by, by the way, why this team is so good, the commanders defensively, is because... Deron Payne and John Allen can do both. Like get, yeah, you, get, you, get you some men who can do both. And, and yep. those dudes can do both. Um, <laughs> that's why, that's and, why
1: both and, those guys are going to be rich when it's all said and done. <laughs>
0: John already on his way. Deron, Deron's time is coming. And by the way, to the Eagles point and Jordan Davis, how important do they think having that guy is uh, or a guy like that? Well, while Davis is out on IR, they went and signed Linval Joseph yesterday. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> old Minnesota D lineman who played for the DC in Minnesota uh, yeah. was, was out, you know, quote unquote on the street. I hate that term, but he's a free agent yeah. uh, and played 13 years in the league. And they're like, hey, buddy, uh, we know, you know, the scheme, we know you're a big hog, Molly. Once you come in here and play us, play us 20 snaps a game.
1: And, and one so, of the uh, best, one of the best yeah. in the league at that, at that specific skill set. And right. so again, it's, it shows you like they got punched in the mouth a little bit on Monday night football. They say, Hey. Let's go, let's go get a body in here that can, yeah, come on, come on now. Let's go big fella, (laughs) sign on the dotted line.
0: take command podcast from odyssey sports i'm greg hoffman that is logan paulson i hope you're enjoying the podcast if you are then go ahead and subscribe wherever you're listening right now and we'll get you automatically downloaded good to go uh, whenever it is that we publish a new episode typically monday wednesday friday back on that schedule next week with a return to normalcy after the monday night football game This week, Uh, of course, this weekend's game against the Houston Texans. Interesting offensive team, Logan Paulson. We'll get to their defense in the next segment, but uh, an interesting offensive team that's obviously running into a buzzsaw of a defense in the Commanders. uh, One of the best in the NFL right now in a number of statistical categories, but they've got some threats and specifically their running back. Damian Pierce is uh, quickly becoming one of the best guys in the NFL.
1: Yeah. And so let's just start like real high level with tennis, with the Texans. So they're a team that I think they know they're a little understaffed. They know that their personnel isn't excellent and they do a lot of stuff to try and insulate their personnel. So that you see kind of a lot of inside zone, outside zone, gap scheme, pullers, pin pull, tosses, right? They're trying to kind of figure out the answer to a puzzle, right? As opposed to saying, this is who we are. This is what we're super good at, right? They're saying, like, we're going to try and get you off base here, off balance by throwing a lot at you and seeing if something sticks, right? They came out versus Las Vegas or, yeah, versus Las Vegas with, like, in a very unusual formation. They had their uh, guard, center guard, and the quarterback, and then their tackles were split out wide, like in that kind of college weird Formation member uh um, the Patriots did it a couple of years ago, kind of where you your eligibles and they ran that probably three mm-hmm. or four times in the game, right? They run a halfback pass versus Tennessee, they run a flea flicker versus the Giants, right? They're they're trying to find ways to give themselves an edge. So I think going into this game, like that's something that Jack Del Rio has to be acutely aware of is like what is the, what is their weird little reverse trickeration thing they're gonna do, and how do we respond to that? So that again, something for fans to kind of keep an eye on. You mentioned the running back. The running back's excellent. He's very fun to watch. He's kind of the bright spot of their team. Um, he, again, he's got some big play ability, maybe not like a true home run guy, but, you know, hits a big run against the, the Giants and is very consistent. It kind of, even, even though the Giants did an excellent job of like kind of down-to-down limiting effectiveness, Pierce pops a, uh, you know, a 75-yard run, not for a touchdown, but big play, chunk play, kind of they're going to get him touches in the screen game, in the flat, Like he is the biggest feature of that offense, right? And uh, it's interesting to me that he's the biggest feature because their interior offensive line is maybe the worst three guys that, or at least they're playing the worst of anybody we've played this year, right? So in rundowns, their uh, left guard, Kenyon Green, is not doing very well. Um, You know, and I just think about Allen and Payne matched up against him. And I think that's just going to be that's going to be a nightmare for him, right? That's just going to be a nightmare. And like the other, the right guard is playing a little bit better. His name escapes me at the moment, but again, not much better. They do have two really good offensive tackles. Uh, Laramie Tunsil, in my opinion, is maybe the best, second best left tackle in football outside of Trent Williams. So Montez Sweat versus him is going to be really fun to watch. I think Tunsil is just so efficient in how he pass sets and just so efficient with his technique. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. I think, Uh, OJ, uh, Tyson Howard on the other side is a little raw, more of a mauler kind of big body guy. So pass rush can be generated on him, I do believe, but he's a very good run player. So I do think it's interesting that they're so effective running the football, despite kind of having these, this deficient interior. And I think it speaks to what Pierce is doing in terms of elevating that group in certain situations. But I also think it speaks to their offensive coordinator in terms of, hey, we're going to just throw a lot at you, and you're going to misfit one of these. And They do like they like on the long run against the Giants. They run a zone read RPO with Davis Mills as your quarterback, right? They're reading the backside end and they are able to get hats to the front side ends up being a big play. Like they didn't show that in the past couple weeks. And all of a sudden they're like, let's just see if this works. Boom. How about (laughs) that? So again, they're really going to stress the mental acuity of these guys because physically outside of guys like Laramie outside of guys like Pierce, that interior group. Howard is very physical in the run game, but that group is not; they're understaffed, and you can tell the st- the coaching staff knows it, and yeah. they're going to throw a lot at you.
0: Uh, Washington defense, well staffed. Uh, well, some staffed. stats. Some stats for you. Uh, I mean, I I literally could go forever on all these. I got two pages worth of of things <laughs> from the Commanders' uh, weekly release of impressive stats, but I'll just stick to the the individual ones this year. Uh, individual defense, uh, tackles for loss in the NFC. John Allen, eleven. Duron Payne, ten. Uh, those that's second and third behind Zadarius Smith's fourteen. Quarterback hits uh, in the league. Washington's Montez Sweat second uh, behind Nick Bosa. Defensive tackles passes defended uh, in the NFC. Allen Payne third and or tied for third. They've each swatted three uh, this year. Defensive tackle sacks in the NFC. Second and fourth, Payne Allen uh, behind Jason Hargrave. And then Aaron Donald sandwiched in the middle. Defensive tackles tackles for loss in the NFC. Allen Payne, 1-2 at 11-10. and 10. Uh, They are just monsters. And then, then you've got some other like really cool, interesting stats, including uh, opponents rush uh, yards before contact in the entire NFL. Washington, by far, in the lead. 0. 0.65 yards before contact which means running backs are barely getting past the line of scrimmage. .65, Tennessee's second at .76, San Francisco's third at .93. They are dominant up front, and it starts with those two guys in the middle and then obviously the contributions that Ridgeway has made. Uh, I think you mentioned this uh, on the last pod and I know it's been mentioned this week, but Ridgeway in his eight snaps was the highest graded player from PFF, So like (laughs) came in there, did a great job. uh, And and he does limited number. And by the way, the fact that he only had to play eight snaps tells you that Allen and Payne were out there a ton. Uh, And that goes to the kind of the complimentary football element that we talked about earlier.
1: And he's a guy that I might expect to see a little bit more of this week. If you look at the giants, for example, they play a 34 front. So three kind of defensive tackle type body types, then two edge players. That's essentially would be Washington Cinco front. And I think, uh, you know, you don't feel great about um, Ridgeway against a super fast, quick center, um, but or like a team that runs a lot outside zone because he seems to have a hard time reading that. But I, th- I think he matches up really well. And then you get those, then you get Allen and Payne and a one-on-one on two guys who are having a very tough season so far. And I, and I don't want to overstate this, but that matchup, that, those two matchups right there, Payne on the guard, Allen on the guard, could just absolutely destroy this game. So I think something to kind of keep an eye out on is um, you know that they're kind of best running the football. And then their second best asset is probably their tight end room. We'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, do you say, hey, like we're going to play a heavy box and just basically say, like, dare them to throw it? Because from a man-to-man standpoint, I think, you know, Benjamin Zane-Juice has shown he can match up with pretty much anybody. And Kendall Fuller had a solid game, not an excellent game, but a solid game last week. And if they can't protect Davis Mills, which they haven't been able to, like we, Davis Mills is very, very talented. I think I told you that when we were prepping for the show. Very yeah. talented guy. You see his arm talent. You see the way he sees the defenses and stuff. But the protection has been terrible outside of Laramie Tunsil and Howard. Like it's just as a like immediate up the middle. Like someone's in his face. So maybe if I'm Jack, I just say like, "Come on, let's see if you can handle this." And they, recent history has shown that they haven't handled it very well. And so again, like maybe you see a little bit of a different approach here from Jack kind of saying, let's be a little bit more aggressive, eliminate the run with our heavy personnel blitzing, whatever, be aggressive downhill, and kind of say you can't block any of our guys, you know, inside and let them let them win the game for you, which is something that I think is very, very viable. Another thing to consider, they do throw a lot at you. What is that going to do for Jamin in terms of how effective he can be? Because he's a guy who has improved and is playing well. Yeah. But is a guy that when the neural load goes up tends to slow down a little bit. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch too. Definitely.
0: Um, what have you made, by the way, uh of Bostic through these couple yeah. of games and, and how he's played and how he's been able to help Jamin out? Because he actually played a ton the other night.
1: Yeah, he's actually been really impressive. Like he's um he's just so he's not he's not amazing, but you can tell he knows what the heck is going on. Yeah, and for that position smart. Like we've seen it with Cole, like that is valuable. It's like, you know, having a quarterback who really like is dialed in, they might not be the best playmaker, but if they know what to do with the football and where to go, it elevates kind of the whole group. And I think you're getting that a little bit with Bostic. Like I think he's being super decisive to the ball. You know, he misses a couple tackles here and there, but he's fast. He's peeling double teams. He's helping that interior out in terms of providing single blocks and things like that. So I do think that that is, um, that he's he's been a night nice, he's been played well. You know, it's 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 been good. It's not like he's gonna go to a Pro Bowl or anything like that, but it's not been like this crazy vacancy in Cole's absence. Like obviously this team misses Cole, but having him in there as kind of a nice stopgap for him and Mayo has been nice. I think that it's you know, everyone's talking about the linebacker depth. Yeah. For he him to come in and do that, I think is awesome.
0: I guess the question would then be it looks like Cole's gonna be out again based off the fact that he wasn't it practice uh dmp on wednesday i mean that it was a walkthrough you know they right. could have just been like take the extra day on your feet and, and maybe he is back but if, if cole is out again but mayo
1: would be back would you go back to mayo or would you just stick with bostic that's a really good question because i think uh, i think mayo did a fine job but i think bostic's been i don't want to say i think he's been playing better been playing more consistently maybe than i saw mayo and mayo didn't have a big sample size right i think he only yeah. started like one game or a half or something like that so, you know, Bostic's done well in two games. And obviously they've kind of shifted their approach a little bit. They're getting more uh, safeties on the field, which I think is the right move. So you're kind of able to put Bostic and Jamin in better situations, which again is maybe elevating them. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I'd have to go back and really study that. But I think the more significant variable is curl, uh, McCain. Uh, how Force. much are you going to see yeah. Percy Butler in this game? Right. Like, cause he played a little bit in this last game. Cause you have these, these resources at safety that are, good young athletic guys that are playing well against the run and the pass so maybe that's how you mitigate you know that and say Bostick's doing well in this role let's keep him in that role and bring those other guys in to kind of fill out where we need
0: yeah, all three safeties played 100% of the snaps uh, against Philadelphia, and they just moved them around where they played very greatly. Right. Um, you know, Forrest played all three spots. McCain played all three spots. Um, but they were all on the field for 100% of the snaps. All right, real quick before we shift gears and look at how uh, the Texans match up defensively with Heineke in the offense. What about Davis Mills in this passing game? What what do you like about him, and and how much of a threat are they? You know, it starts obviously with Brandon Cooks, a guy who's been making big plays in the NFL for a decade. Um, but what else do they have? And, and I know you mentioned the tight end room. You like? Yeah, Shocking, I do like. By them. the way, that yeah. Like well,
1: I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, you know I'm a tough tough, tough grader group. when it comes to tight yeah. ends. So this is a good group. Let's talk about the receivers first. Like obviously you've got Cooks, and he. He's not Cooks from three years ago. He's good. He can win one-on-one, but it's not like... I also think he's in kind of this... He's the he's the biggest fish in a very small pond. So he gets kind of more... I feel like he's a better guy to kind of like move around the formation, kind of Cooper Cup-ish, you know, kind of put him in the slot, put him out wide. He can win in both areas. So why not lean into that a little bit more here? Because they're lacking in so many spots. He's basically got to play your ex-receiver, which is not where he's at his best. Like I said, I think he can move around a little bit, but again, still a good football player. Nico Collins is an interesting guy. I don't know if people are familiar with him. He's 6'4", like 225 pounds. He ran a 4'2", or 4'3", last year at the Combine. So big, fast, physical dude who shows up as like a guy at the catch point. You can tell he's still, he's very raw figuring it out, but a guy that maybe a year or two from now, people are saying, oh, look at Nico Collins kind of ascending into a true number one or a true number two um because of his skill set and athleticism so again playmaker has made some some very tough catches but um like i said and, and and davis mills has the arm talent to get them the football he throws with good anticipation he throws with great ball velocity it's just he is under siege back there in a way that makes it tough for anybody to operate this offense we meant and then more Moore is the guy that he played in baltimore a couple of years ago good player kind of a role player but they're getting good production from him the tight end group I think is really fascinating they got uh, Jordan Akins a guy that I played with when I was in Houston who's really grown up a little bit kind of like a receiver type of tight end and he makes explosive plays for them like when they need it like he caught a screen against um against the Giants that he took for a 70-yard gain like he's a he's a big explosive fast guy he scores touchdowns and like when they kind of need an explosive play he's a guy that seems to give it to him I think everyone's familiar with OJ Howard he does not He looks kind of like a shell of his, of his former self a little bit. So Aikens is the guy. They have a guy, uh, Brevin Jordan, who I think a lot of people here wanted this team to draft, who is very, very talented. Again, is kind of on the precipice of becoming that mismatch piece, but still growing. And then they drafted a kid from Oregon State who is a good football player. Big, strong, tough, physical blocker, kind of like a poor man's Mercedes Lewis. So I do like that position group. I like the receiver's I wish they had a better true number one like Terry and Nico Collins. You say, "Oh, that's a pretty good group right there." But Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins, it, it it's kind of like, eh. You know what I mean? It doesn't really play the same way. Um, and so I think, and so and so yeah, Davis Mills has the ability to kind of get the ball to these playmakers. It's just the offensive line, specifically Kenyon Green, the center and the right guard, have had a really tough go of it. You know, really tough yeah. go, and it shows up. Pretty consistently. And that's why they've kind of leaned into this run the football first, run the football second. Maybe on third long we'll run the football again just because we don't love our pass protection.
0: Yeah. And then last but very much least in the uh wh- I don't know why I noticed that uh trend of the week. Hey, let's have a player who played the commanders already from the NFC or North that got that switched teams and is suddenly back on the commanders and they or facing the commanders in their first game. Formerly TJ Hawkinson, big impact. Don't expect a lot from Amari Rogers, recently cut from the Packers and apparently signed to Houston this week. A thing I learned when I looked at the depth chart 30 seconds ago. Uh, um, uh, and hopefully he yeah. drops a
1: punt. And Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> because he's great. been doing that I, recently.
0: <laughs> that's, that's why he's no longer a Packer. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, notoriously not a big fan of uh, kick returners who, who drop kicks.
1: Yeah, especially not. him. They've been a big deal anyway.
0: Yeah. uh, Not sure how many quarterbacks are. uh, Just, you know, it's been a thing. (laughs) Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day. The weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. take command podcast from odyssey sports that's logan paulson i am card hoffman again if you like and what you're hearing uh please subscribe and and even maybe tell a friend to do the same yeah you tell know. a
1: friend we need friends subscribing
0: yeah share the wealth it's selfish uh selfish. All right. last but not least uh commander's offense what do they see in this texans defense um you know as you mentioned with the texans offense like they've got some stuff there it's just an incomplete unit defensively it doesn't seem like there's that many names that get you excited and uh, obviously their play would suggest that that is the that is the case
1: yeah i think so the offense you see there's like a path there's like a path to them being good their offensive line grows up a little bit they maybe draft a receiver next year you know they got all these first round picks you say okay that group's gonna be they'll be all right but you know they're like a year away the defense you're like oh what is going on over here right they're playing like this kind of gap penetrating movement front and they've you know like where a smaller defensive line would be advantageous and they've got some people who are I think good football players but a little out of position right they've got their probably best player on defense is the safety they drafted or the guy who shows up most consistently is the safety they drafted from Baylor Jalen Petrie um, who is a good football player but again very young still growing up Derek Stingley Jr. again drafted in the top five at corner is growing up i think when you started the season you say man he's not playing very well and then you watch the last couple of games you say okay there's that talent there's that ability but you know pass rushers is kind of limited jerry hughes has some juice still against philadelphia and their game he showed up quite a bit on um jordan Milata but very inconsistent. Their interior defensive line is just okay. Um, they And you can tell that the coaching staff knows they're just okay. So one of the things that I see when I'm watching a team, if they're, if they're running a lot of run stunts, so they'll, they'll line up in their front and everyone will run to the left and they'll blitz a the linebacker off the right side. They do that because they feel like they need something to elevate the group, which they do. And that works. It can cause confusion. It messes up double teams. But if you can catch them in the line stunts, it opens gigantic running lanes, right? So basically what they have is a whole bunch of guys who are struggling to win one-on-one matchups and they're trying to find ways to elevate the group. So you elevate them by scheme, which we just described, or you elevate them again by adding more resources to the box. Like if you watch them versus Tennessee, there are there are so many people in the box because they're basically like, we cannot have them run the football anymore. I think Derek Henry rushed for over 200 yards in that game. And then against uh, Las Vegas, again, they kind of add people to the run front. And the thing that's interesting is when they add people to the run front, they still don't fit runs very well. So I would expect the the commanders to be able to run the football, but if they do allocate a lot of resources, they tend to play a little bit of man-to-man coverage, which for us, for the commanders, seems like a tremendous advantage, right? It seems like this huge advantage because I can say, hey, you know, Terry McLaurin, versus Derek Singley Jr., or Terry McLaurin versus someone I've never heard of playing corner on the other side, like that's a matchup that this team should win, right? And I would like to see them take advantage of that. I know you don't want to put too much uh, pressure on Taylor Heineke, but I think because the front is not great, because they don't rush the passer overly well, because they can't stop the run, I think that opportunity will be there for you. And it's about when you capitalize on it. And Houston, for whatever reason, they've been able to make quagmires of games. And what I mean by that, like they take good teams and they make them play very badly. They take average teams and make them play very badly because it just gets messy and muddy, and they're throwing all this stuff at you, and it doesn't really work out very well. So, as much as like it seems like the path is going to be very straightforward for the offense and very straightforward for the defense, Houston is what they call like plucky or scrappy. Like they find a way to kind of just bring you down into the murk and mire, and you're kind of wrestling in the mud with them and they are hoping that you screw something up and they're able to take advantage of it late in the game. Uh,
0: the path should be pretty straightforward. Uh, that that path is running the football. Obviously, the commanders are coming off the game where they ran it the most they have in 20 years against the Eagles. What was it, 47 attempts, I believe? Ooh, 49, the ultimate, something the like that. Number. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, they ran... A lot. Uh, 49 yeah. times, yeah. yeah. Uh, for 152 yards. The Texans are the worst run defense in football. They're yeah. giving up, on average, 181.8 yards per game.
1: I mean, they've also played Derrick Henry. You know, they played uh, Josh sure. Jacobs, who's playing it's well. It's
0: 181 yards a game.
1: It's They're not good, okay? I'm not trying to, like, sugarcoat this. Yeah. It's like, that, that number makes perfect sense to me. I am saying it might be slightly inflated by the people that they've played sure. in these run-first teams, but it's not been... They played New York, right? New York runs the mm-hmm. runs the bejesus out of the football. So they've played a lot of teams that are kind of adopting our philosophy, and they've been very unsuccessful at stopping them. Well, right, and
0: that's the thing is like just stick with the philosophy, right? Like for all the times that I'm like, I don't know, should that be the philosophy? Like you've got you've got Terry McLaurin, you've got Curtis. Like this week, hey Brian, gear up, buddy, it's time to go. Yeah. Antonio, gear up, buddy, it's time to go. Whoever the third guy is, like get that guy ready. Whether it's John Curtis Williams coming back, obviously Curtis. Hey, if you can't get Curtis five carries or five touches this week, uh, you know, last week was four carries and a little pitch play. Plus your, your regular passing. Step. Right. I got him five game plan touches. I want, I want that this week for sure. And you should be able to have a good week. Um, I obviously then you, you hope to get the play action shots. You hope to get the man to man shots in, in certain situations and you go from there, but it, it does seem like this is a pretty easy week to game plan. Like don't overthink it. You know, right. Ron, Ron has been preaching. Like we gotta, we gotta play this way. This week is the week to just play that way and, and don't think twice about it.
1: Yeah, and I so I think and again, I, I don't think offensively, I think they've got some pieces, but I don't think they're quite there yet. So I think the 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 only risk you run by running this game plan is that one of those talented playmakers, Nico Collins, Akin's, Pierce hits you for a big play, right? And they do that two or three times because they do do that. They do mm-hmm. find a way to cultivate a even if they're freaky kind of streak plays, you know. So can you be efficient enough that when one of those big plays happens for them offensively, it doesn't kill you. I think that's that you want to be efficient enough where you can manage something like that. Cause for whatever reason, they're not, you know, like they, they have explosive pieces. They're just not very consistent. So I think that that would be my one point of caution, just kind of be aware, Scott, like you're going to want to run the football, but if you can cultivate a big play and take advantage of them, like with lesser coverage players trying to match up with, you know, this tremendous skill group and they're playing man-to-man coverage on first down, run that play-action pass and take a shot. I'm not saying do it every play, but in the same way that they did it against Philly, like when that opportunity comes, make sure you're ready for it because that is going to be their response. And you better believe, man, they watch film too. They know what's coming. This whole week, they're going to be saying like, guys, like we have to stop the run. We have to do this. Like, you know, Taylor Heineke can't beat us with his arm. Like that's their narrative this week. If I'm coaching uh, Houston, and so I'm going to allocate a ton of resources to stopping the run and basically saying like, right? Figure I guess it
0: out. I, if I was if I was Ron and Scott, I'd be like, you're right. You can't watch yeah. us. And, and, yeah, you know. I think but they Ron haven't been a, able to. They haven't been right. able to. And that and that's exactly why I'd be like, yeah, you know, go ahead, allocate resources. How's that gone for you? Oh, you're you're yeah. giving up 180 yards a game. Um, I also think Ron made a really fair point about. You talk about the efficiency and some of the numbers last week were not great on paper in terms of three-point-whatever yards of carry for Robinson. He had so many third-and-ones, third-and-twos, the goal line stuff that it really did drag the average down. Because when you watched it, you're like, that dude, I swear to God, he's averaging six yards of carry. Like It felt like he was getting places, Um, and especially as the game went it felt like they started to wear down a little bit. It did Philadelphia and they started to get some bigger runs, not like 12, 15, 20, 30 yard runs, but they were getting six to eight yards. It felt like with consistency. And then you look at the numbers afterwards, you're like, why did he average three point, whatever yard, 3.2, 3.5 yards a carry. And when you, you know, when the goal of a play is to get two yards, that still goes into the average. So I, you know, I haven't done the math and taken they, out all those plays, but like there was much closer to a solid four, four and a half yard average when you take out the short yardage stuff. And if yeah. they can just do that again, like they're going to be fine.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Like I was listening to Mina Kimes podcast, which mm-hmm. is pretty good. If you guys want to check it yeah, out, Mina um, mean, fantastic. And she was talking about, she was able to find some metric about success rate on runs, which factors that in, which factors oh, in like the goal, great. the goal of the run. And I think it was like, you know, over 80%. It was a very, very high. I wish I could remember the exact statistic, but it was a very, very high success rate per run. So basically like for the goal of that run, like what was the result? And that kind of accounts for the short yardage variance, which I thought was a really interesting statistic that kind of supports your point and supports Ron's point that like, you know, the goal of a short yardage play is to get a first down. So if you get a first down, like it's very successful. So I think that that's, um, Something to keep an eye on and uh yeah, I mean I do think they should be able to run the football. I think that should work really well. I think B Rob, Gibson, Samuels, whoever the third guy is, should be ready to go. Put your mouthpieces in, offensive linemen, be ready to go. But I just I'm always of the mindset is like they know it. So do you have something in the bag to take advantage of their response? And I think if if their response is gonna be to play an aggressive kind of man coverage gosh, man, I like our weapons outside in terms of finding ways to get a big play. And I think that would be the next iteration, next evolution of this offense is to say, you know, we've, we've shown we can run the football versus, you know, Philly's not a great run-stopping team either, but can we take advantage of some of this other stuff?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so now I'm looking at some of this uh, success rate over average, stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool yeah. stats. Uh, Mina's yeah. super smart. Uh, I'll have to go back and listen to that pod. Um, but, yeah, Washington's success rate, over 50% uh, this year in all directions. You know, you, you look at some of the specific stuff, they've been oddly very good over right guard, uh, considering the, the turmoil at that position. Uh, so that's, He, he, he that's did well fun. last
1: game. He played well against yeah, Philly. They've, like, had in terms bunch, of, yeah. they've
0: had, like, what, three different guys playing that position this year? Yeah. So,
1: um, but apparently
0: that's a, that's a good place for them to go, um, you know, whatever that's worth. Uh, right. Way, outs, outside stuff been really good uh, for them this year when they've been able to get to the edge uh Antonio Gibson obviously doing a lot of that has done a good job all right uh that's it for the podcast but there is plenty more where that came from that being uh, our analysis coming up on Sunday countdown to kickoff uh truth be told as of recording we're not a hundred percent sure when we're going to start slash when we'll be on uh because we have a ton of college basketball on both of our stations oh. this weekend uh 106.7 the fan and the team 980 so stay tuned to the tweeters uh, I will tweet out a time once we have our finalized uh, schedule, but we will be on before the show so or before the game. So make sure that you are tuned in to 106.7, the fan, and the team 980. But with the holiday weekend, I mean, obviously pre-holiday weekend, there's all these preseason basketball or college basketball tournaments which are messing with the schedule. A little bit, so it might not be a full three hours before kick. But we will be on most likely starting at 10 a.m. on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. I will for sure uh, be on the Team 980 starting at three o'clock Friday. Actually, our show is cut short as well due to some college basketball. Georgetown has a, I think, a 4:30 game or something like that. Uh, so we're done at we're done at 4:30. Uh, on Friday but plenty of of coverage obviously continuing on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 live and local all weekend long make sure you are tuned in for the latest on that and then we will see you uh, no matter what there's there's no college basketball game that can preempt this podcast that's what we're talking about so first thing Monday morning we will have a fresh pod for you live also on YouTube the instant reaction pod goes up well instantly Uh, you can check that out at youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. For Logan, I'm Craig. We will see you on the radio. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care.